Listen up, ladies and gentlemen. This is Cinemasters Podcast. Episode 10. No, I am the father. Go ahead, make my day. And gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room. What we've got here is failure to communicate. You can't handle the truth! My out of it my heart is still pounding how does chris nolan do this he keeps stepping it up with each film yeah. that he does it's amazing isn't it oh, you'll have to ask him because i'm telling you i'm like you i just going how do you do that yeah. yeah he's like a computer he knows everything that he wants to do and he's so quiet and it and you ask him the most minuscule little thing and he has an answer for it yeah. you know and yeah. he knows he cuts in his head too the camera in his head you know Oh, he's amazing. He is amazing. What is it like to just watch that man in action and how he keeps everything so... Can't tell you what it's like to watch him. I'll tell you what it's like to work with him. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's quiet authority. That's it. That really. describes him. And he's, he, 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 
the thing about and he always has he has this coat with a flask of tea in it and he drinks his tea all day long yeah a raggedy old coat i think that's a good luck a thing raggedy actually. old coat he's, sure. it's the same overcoat and he is. takes a sip of this tea about every 20 10 20 minutes and i found out what the tea was it was old gray tea yeah and that's what he drinks and he's it's that he's a tea drinker and he's watching you know He's mm-hmm. an Englishman as well. He's drinking tea all day long. Yeah. Hello, and welcome back to episode 10 of Cinemasters. Tonight we're Ooh, talking... double digits. Christopher Nolan movies. Yeah, double digits. As always, I'm Daniel Jaynes. I'm Rudy Schubach. And I'm Jacob Lynn. Yeah. Uh, you guys seen any good movies recently? Uh, I, uh, I've been watching a lot of Doctor Who, trying to get caught up. Uh, I'm gonna go see Die Hard. Got a good day to Die Hard tomorrow. I'm excited about it. Um, what did I watch? Oh, I watched Fifth Element last night, and that was really that was a, um, an amazing blast from the past. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in uh, quite a while. It's fantastic. I mean, we I watched all of the Die Hards with Claire because she hadn't she had seen the first one, but none of the other ones, and so she wanted to watch the rest of them before we went on our date tomorrow. Uh, and then the day after we went on this like huge diehard marathon, she put on Fifth Element. I was like, "Oh, good! It's um, diehard in the future." Because <laughs> <laughs> you really break down the Corbin Dallas character. He's you know a a guy who's a hero in sort of an unlikely situation, and he doesn't really want to be there, but he's got to save the day. So it sort of makes too much sense. Yeah, I I can see that. I guess. Yeah, love it. Um, last weekend I watched like 18 hours of TV to catch up, um, nice. on a bunch of shows. So I haven't had a ton of time to watch movies besides the ones for tonight, but I did see my first 2013 movie, uh, in theaters, which was uh, side effects. And I really, really liked it. So starting off the year strong with a Steven Soderbergh movie. Right yeah. Awesome. So, that looks interesting. Yeah, it was um, I suggest everybody watch the trailer before they go, um, because it'll give you, uh, it'll let you know what to expect, and then he'll smash those expectations. But it's like I really liked it, but I like almost all of his movies, and so I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sucker for him. Fair enough. I've seen yeah. quite a few movies since last time we recorded. Oh yeah. Um, Premium Rush is the first one. Yeah, you mentioned that. Redbox keeps sending me texts that have free codes for free movie rental. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, hard to pass up. So I got Premium Rush, which is a good action chase thriller if you're into something, you know, somewhat mindless and want to watch Joseph Gordon-Levitt ride a bike for an hour and a half or so. I could deal with that, I think. That mm-hmm. is on my list. I mean, I'd heard good things, and then you uh, Facebooked me about it, I think. And yeah. It's, I'm, I'm going to get around to it. It's worth a watch, at the very least. I mean, um, I lo- I'm a big fan of Jogo in general, so I, I was really thinking about jumping in just because of that. But to yeah. hear that it's actually got some entertainment value as well. You yeah. Know? You know, all around the well-done movie. Hard to complain about it. Yeah, and I'd heard good things about Michael Shannon in there, just like chewing oh, scenery. Yeah. Uh, I also saw Dread, the remake of Judge Dread, that came out last year, and mm-hmm. again, solid action movie. See, I did not like it. Well, it, I'll take that back. I thought it was fine. Yeah. So I'll damn it with faint praise. <laughs> so wait, 
you're going to say that you liked it better when it was the complex. Uh, I I saw it with Kevin and Bree, and they mm-hmm. both really liked it. And I came out and I was like, "Oh, good for you." Well, but it's know. it's essentially the American. It's like the the people in America saw whatever that movie was with that you were talking about the, the other day. Yeah, the Raid Redemption. Yeah, Raid Redemption. And it's like, well, we could do that. Yeah, and we can do it American. And we um, can do it with Carl Urban and put a helmet on him. Yeah, <laughs> and have him be <laughs> frowning the entire time. Like Angry Cat or Grumpy Cat. <laughs> but yeah. I'm glad you liked it, though. It, I mean, it, it's okay if you want to see some ridiculous violence. But I I'm also watched The violence. Raid Redemption, which is almost the exact same plot, but a lot better. Exactly. Understood. Go see Raid Redemption. And then, yesterday, Devin and I went and saw Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. Yeah, you did. And it was hilarious. Right. Blew all my expectations out of the water. Exactly. Uh, so many good lines from it, and it looks beautiful. And if you're, you're going just, in expecting you're with me, right? a good movie, I then you're going to be disappointed. If you're yeah, going exactly. in there expecting something kind of ridiculous and kind of making fun of the its situation that it's putting itself in, then you'll enjoy this movie. It's just hilarious. Because we'll it see. doesn't take itself seriously at all. And yeah. it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Hansel has the sugar disease. <laughs> <laughs> I know. When you when you mentioned that he has diabetes. <laughs> really, oh, my God. Oh, that's so brilliant. <laughs> in, in like an idiot kind of way but it's so brilliant uh, yep you're that, just easy to please that's true um, apart from those I think that's all the movies I've seen been watching a lot of TV as well but whatever let's Nothing talk about a god of modern cinema god of modern cinema you must be talking about Christopher Nolan I am talking about Christopher Nolan awesome you're not talking about the director of Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters? No. no. Nope. Nobody knows his name. He was the guy who directed uh, another just atrocious movie. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, anyway, Arrow. We'll move on. So, so Arrow. Arrow. <laughs> uh, so Nolan. So Chris Nolan. The following is my explanation. more of an account of what happened. I'd been on my own for a while and getting kind of lonely and bored. Nothing to do all day. And that's when I started shadowing. Shadowing? Shadowing, following. I started to follow people. Who? Anyone, first. Um, I mean, that was the whole point. Somebody at random. Somebody didn't know who I was. And then? And then nothing. Nothing? Nothing. I just see where they went, what they did. Go home afterwards. And I started to follow people, specific people, when I selected 
a person to follow. That's when the trouble started. So the first movie we watched is Following. It's came out in 1998, and it's a movie that he kind of made with his friends over like a year and a half. <coughs> they they only filmed on weekends, so that because you know they were all working and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a movie that almost nobody has seen. Neither of us had seen it. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it beforehand. Um, yeah, I'd heard of it, but only because it had come up in conversations I'd listened to on other podcasts about Nolan. And uh, yeah, I I take it that most people who know him from his bigger movies have never even heard of following, let alone yeah, watched it. I hadn't heard of it. And I'm super glad that you someone made me watch it because yeah. it was really rad. And I mean, like coming in at just over 60 minutes, it's it's like a bite-sized bit of Nolan. But you can totally see his roots in this movie. Like his his use of um, uh, major character um, physical adjustments uh, to sort of show us that we're in different parts of different times of this character's life. Like how we see uh, the young man, I think is what they literally call him in IMDb. Uh, when we see the young man and he's all beat to crap and he's got his hair cut and then it flashes back to when his hair's real long, you're like, oh, this must be, you know, another time of his life. Like, that's that's a very Nolan thing to do. Um, well, yeah, I mean, the messy chronology alone is a really Nolan thing to do. And then the signifiers are another Nolan thing to do. And the fact that the plot takes all these zigs and zags and there's all these reveals is another Nolan mm. thing to do. And here he's doing it on a shoestring budget. 70 minute like a 60 or 70 minute film and then he'll do it in you know what 15 20 years after this movie he'll do it with 200 million dollars yeah crazy yeah i mean and and the twists themselves are rad like when they just sort of matter of factly cut to uh da no not dob that's from memento his name's Cobb. when they cut to Cobb and the blonde girl in bed together and they're just sort of talking about the young man together i'm like oh fuck she's in on it and my brain just explodes like i don't know well he even he even reuses that name because leo and inception's name is Cobb. right right right. which is an interesting name for a director to use twice it's not like it's john or jim or something so I, i found that interesting too Mm. Uh, just another tick, I guess, of his. I'm not sure if he just wanted to uh, give homage to his recent or his earlier film or, or what. But did uh, did the girl have a name? Because one thing I've been noticing about his his personal films is the the names of the women are always so odd. The blonde, like, uh, right? Uh, her name was yeah. the blonde. Okay, yeah. I think that's because what she's credited like, as. The, yeah, the girl Cobb has in a name. Inception is Cobb's the only one with a name. Yeah, everybody else is the young man, the blonde, the policeman, you know, that sort of thing. That's kind of cool. Because it's told from the perspective of the young man, but that makes Cobb the main character. By the way, it, I, I mean, this is according In to IMDb, and I, I know that he kind of did it by himself, but, and I'd heard it was a micro budget, and I heard that uh, one of the biggest uh, expenses was the film, and so they ended up rehearsing the scenes like, 20 30 times so that they could hit it in one take so they weren't wasting film but imdb <laughs> says that it had a six thousand dollar budget yep which is insane i could come up with six thousand dollars to make a movie and this right? dude and how much of that budget oh was God. getting getting british pounds so he can strap them <laughs> to his body 
That was that actually was, that was half hilarious. the budget. That was three thousand yeah. dollars taped to him. That was the first. That was the first thing that they filmed, so that they could then use that money. Use that money. There you go. <laughs> that's brilliant. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. I I watched it like the year Inception was coming out when I was doing all my Nolan research, getting ready for Inception. Mm. I I went out and found this movie. Watch his mind was blown as tends to happen with his movies. You're like, what the hell just happened? But yeah, this introduces like all of Nolan's staples where, you know, the non-chronological storytelling, the clever editing to disguise the story and make the reveals that much stronger uh, using an ambiguous kind of ending. This one was yeah. a lot more cut and dry than, say, Inception was, but like it, it still kind of leaves you hanging. Right. And, yeah, I mean, yeah, and uh, like I just I'm gonna put it out there uh, that I, if you would ask me ten minutes into this movie what I thought, I would have told you that in five minutes I'm turning it off. I just was I. I kind of went in apprehensive because it, you know, it's a first film. It's so little money. So I knew it was going to be just people sitting and talking and it, you know, it bl- being in black and white and uh, like all these things were just like little ticks where it's like, Oh, I don't, I don't know that I'll really like this movie very much. Mm. And then 20 minutes and I was like, Oh, this is getting pretty good. And then the movie was over, you know, 40 or 50 minutes later. And I was like, man, I really, really like this movie. Yeah. So it, it won me over. I wasn't walking in ready to, you know, give a bunch of, you know, tongue baths to Nolan over it. But <laughs> at the end, I kind of wanted to. It was awesome. I, I mean, I was ready for a movie like this. I was I was really excited to be there. Um, the, the I think the thing that hooked me the most was near, relatively near the beginning of the movie. We see the image of, of the young man after he had been beating the crap up and spitting out a rubber glove. And I'm like... <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> is this like student film? What is the, what is it? Is it Conda? Oh, it's a glove. Okay, it's gloves. All right. <laughs> um, and and I was I was hooked by the time essentially when the guy came over and was like, why haven't you asked me what's in my bag? What's in your bag? CDs. I steal them. Um, I was like, nah, and I'm ready. I'm ready to watch this whole movie. <laughs> I think that was like maybe ten minutes in, fifteen minutes in. Hmm. Yeah, something yeah, like that's, that. That's probably around. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, it's on Criterion. If uh, people who are listening to this uh, go out and watch it and really do like it, Criterion's that kind of exclusive uh, line of titles where they go in and they remaster the audio and uh, the it's video. It's where Wes Anderson and, puts all of his his films. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so this, you know, it comes with. Uh, you know, the movie, of course, and then it's got interviews and commentary and, you know, a side-by-side, you know, the script with the shot, that sort of thing. I bought mm. the Dazed and Confused Criterion and I'm thinking about uh, delving in and creating a little Criterion collection. So <laughs> Nice. Yeah, one thing I like about Nolan and his films is his earlier ones, particularly uh, Following and Memento, have... On the DVD features, they have a chronological edit of the movie. Oh, really? So you can, if, if like, if you want, you can watch through the movie in order of how things happen as opposed to the crazy I don't know edit. if I would for this movie, but I might for Memento. That might be interesting. It's, yeah, it's definitely not worth, like, 
doing for the first watch, but to mm-hmm. wa- watch it again like that, it it really clarifies the order things are going in. So well, that seems like something that I mean, if you're a Nolan lover, you'd uh, buy the movie, you'd watch it, then you'd watch it um, in chronological, then you'd watch it with the commentary, mm-hmm. and I think that right. that give you a, a real depth of knowledge on it. On the other hand, like I think that the the reason that these two movies and Nolan movies in general that have that sort of weird uh, playing with time and and the movement of time and like when we get to Inception, this idea that time is slowing down and we're able to stretch out these large expanses of scenes over you know mere seconds in the in the upper levels, but the the draw is the fact that we don't have all the information and we're see, and we've seen the end of the movie and it's not like well we just want to see this arc it's well we want to put this puzzle together while we're watching we want to we want to we want to know what's going to happen but not know why um and that's sort of why i like to go to nolan movies totally um, i mean i could i could see the opposite though i could see someone who acknowledges that but doesn't like that they're being kept guessing and wants a film that they can understand. And I'm not sure if the movies would work as well, uh, chronological, but mm. that might be, you know, you might get people who are not film buffs who just wanted to watch a movie. And I, then again, I'm not sure why they would be buying it in order to watch <laughs> it in chronological order, but you know, no, I'll rent it from Redbox. <laughs> yeah. Options there. Hey, and if you're getting free, uh, things like Dan, then why not? Yeah, exactly. some of those. No, you're you're too in the system already. They're not going to try and hook you. You're already hooked. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> I'm their shill. I keep saying, you know, what's on Netflix and Redbox and all that stuff. So, yeah. So one little uh, tidbit. I don't know if you guys noticed, but the uh, second place that they rob in this movie has a Batman logo on the door. Is it wait? Isn't the second place that they robbed the one with That's the Batman his, logo? It's his place, apartment. Right? Mm-hmm. It's the main. It's the young yeah, man's yeah. apartment. Yeah, which I did, is I did clever, and it's hard yeah. to pick up on that r- right away. But yeah, it, it, there there's a Batman logo, which you know foreshadowing. How Batman dare he begins. go in and digitally alter this movie? And I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 fucking Lucas. Lucas did. Uh, he Lucas did all to hell. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, good movie. You guys have anything else to talk about with it? Um, no, very, very solid. Uh, I gave it like a three and a half out of five, I think. So I would highly recommend it, especially if uh, someone um, is interested in Nolan's films. I think yeah. that it's a. I mean, anybody can watch Inception, The Dark Knight. Those are movies that made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, but. I think that it's also good to kind of see where he came from and where he tried out some of these storytelling and thematic ideas. And if you dig on Memento, you might as well go back and watch this as well. It's a quick watch. Yeah, it's 70 minutes. Yeah, definitely. Yo, Lenny! I thought you split for good. Well, things change. So I see. My name's Teddy. I guess I've told you about my condition. Only every time I see you. Come on, I'll buy you lunch. Alrighty. So, moving on to Memento, which came out in 2000. And this is the one where the editing really makes the movie. I watched this one right when it came out on DVD. 
And I didn't realize, I didn't know who Nolan was at the time. I just thought it was sort of this cool indie film. Uh, and my friend Ben had rented it and brought it back to a, a D&D party. Like we played some D&D and then we watched the movie. Um, and it was, it was stellar back then. And then I watched it again when I was in, in college. And then very recently, my sister was like, oh, I, I watched, tried to watch Memento once, but I didn't really, it was too confusing and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I watched all but like the last 20 minutes. I was like, what? what? How do you watch all of Memento <laughs> except the last 20 minutes? She's like, can I just watch the last 20 minutes now? I was like, no, we're watching the whole damn thing. Strap yourself in, Laurel. Um, <laughs> and so we sat down and watched the whole thing. And she's like, how did I miss the last 20 minutes last time? I don't know. Um, yes, this is a very good movie. Every yeah, time I watch it. Very, very strong. I've only seen it two or three times, but the most recent was like a year ago. Uh, so I didn't rewatch it this week for this uh, movie, but uh, for this podcast. But yeah just i don't know it's really strong and i think that it's also interesting because the following we all agreed was uh or not the following following uh, we all agreed was a really good film and so as a sophomore effort for memento to come out and kind of crack the doors open for him is not something that happens to a lot of filmmakers uh, a lot of people will put out that little sleeper indie hit and then they'll come out with a higher budget film uh not huge budget this is only like nine or ten million but oh, it'll be a bit of a whiff and that, well, yeah, I mean, going from 6,000 to 9 million is a pretty huge, increase, <laughs> yes, <I guess>. yes. <laughs> but, but then, you know, he'll go on to create, you know, movies that cost several hundred million. So that's yeah. an even bigger jump. But yeah, I think that it's a big deal that he came out with his sophomore effort and did so well when it's such a cult hit and everybody's seen it. And yeah. No, well, and I feel like the, the quality of his writing got better. The quality of his twists got better. Like just, even if it's just because of the way they, he wrote um, the character and his uh, Lenny, Lenny um, the, the way that he has to keep information is a very sort of visual thing, which works well in the film media um, medium. And uh, I mean, <sighs> I can't even express it right now. <laughs> it's just the way he writes it is, and the twists that he drops, and and the the things he leaves up in the air, like is Lenny actually Sam, um, just continues to blow my mind. Well, and especially the the Carrie Ann Moss character too, Natalie. Mm. I mean, everything that goes on with her in the film is just really interesting, and and that kind of doubt that it sows into Guy Pearce's character. Yeah. Yeah, and I I love the use of the editing to build mini climaxes throughout, like when you know, or, or like when Natalie comes in and says, oh my God, he beat the crap out of me, you have to go do something. And then the next scene, it shows right up before that where she's to it reveals that she's totally playing him and his uh, memory illness. Right. It's just like stuff like that, it can only be done when you edit it like Nolan edits this movie. Yeah. Well, and then something as uh, fun and funny as the scene that seems to always come up when you're talking about Memento, which is, you know, him running through the parking lot. The, oh, guy, God. the guy's trying to kill him, and he, but he doesn't know it. Yeah. And so then he's, like, sitting there piecing it 
together. What am I, what am I doing here? Am I chasing this? Oh, okay, I'm chasing this guy. Oh, no, nope, he's chasing me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that's awesome. And that's another thing where, you know, when you're a writer or a director and you see that you have this and it's like, oh, well, wonder what like crazy things could happen. Well, this is a guy who's going to be getting into a lot of fights and scuffles. What if he didn't realize, you know, and then you kind of just walk through that and then you see it on screen and it plays so well. So. Yeah. And the the part where he's in the bathroom with the with the alcohol bottle, he's like, I don't feel drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I don't smell drunk. I guess I must have to take a shower. And then the guy comes in and he beats the crap at him while he's naked. Uh, just stellar, stellar stuff. Yeah, really. If you haven't seen Memento, it's on Netflix. And yeah, it's in, awesome. in fact, I think that. Uh... I don't. I don't know that I would take it chronological. I think I might watch Memento first because it's it's a more it. Although it's still low budget and it's an independent film, it does probably uh, appeal to a wider base. And so I think I'd watch that. And then if you like it, then I'd go and watch Following and right. and and continue going. I think that Following might be a little too difficult for people who aren't film buffs. Uh, buffs to just hop into so i think memento following and then follow the filmography mm. totally agree with everything you just said there so well done boys um, uh, cool i found a really nice. cool image of the timeline for this movie that i'm gonna post in the page so nice can't wait for is anyone. it one of the infographic things that they do yeah, it, it's just it just shows like the scenes in chronological order, and then it has an arrow through like or scenes through in the order that they're shown in the movie, and then an arrow on one side that then turns around and goes through the other side. It yeah, it makes a lot more sense when you look at it than when I try to explain it. Right. But, yeah. Well, it'll be up. So exactly. Should go and look at it. I just pulled it up. It's so yeah, good stuff. We need a wild card. A wild card? Yeah. Something that's there. Something we can use. You know, it's an every good detective novel. I still have a 38. No. Really? That's a shame. Could you use that? That'd be very convincing for them. This is my stop. Next, we're going to jump ahead a couple years to a film that Nolan didn't actually write, but he directed. He he adapted it from, uh, I think it was Norwegian or Swedish screenplay, or film, actually, was produced. Anyways, it's called Insomnia, and it's starring Al Pacino and Robin Williams and the chick that I can't remember. Hilary Swank. Yeah, that one. I'm a boy. I'm a girl, you know. <laughs> Every time I see Hilary Swank, I think of what's his, uh, uh, what uh, Jimmy Boy. Fallon. Oh, Jimmy Fallon playing her on a Celebrity Jeopardy. Gotcha. Nice. <laughs> I Girl, need to look know. that one up too. That sounds hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah. out of these movies that we're talking about, this one's the least Nolan. I don't know. There, yeah, I would agree. When I was thinking about the movies it, while I, I was disagree. getting ready for this, um, I, I kept thinking that this is the one that sort of got the most standard plot line. Like, 
it's still got some good um, character twists and some really great moral decisions that need to be made. Um, but the idea, like the, the, the idea of, of sort of using time uh, and playing with, playing with cause and effect aren't, aren't quite as there. Um, but the way he, the way he art directed it, was very similar to his style. Um, the use of the same sort of music, the use of the sort of um, fluttering imagery uh, to sort of emphasize an emotional reaction, that that was very uh, Nolan still. Yeah, so I, I agree with the uh, last part of what you said when it, it came to, you know, as Pacino's character who's suffering from in, insomnia the whole movie, hence the title, as he kind of gets further and further into the condition he gets more and more the flashes and and though and so that's kind of similar to what happens in something like memento where he's playing into the fact that this guy can't experience time linearly so now we're not experiencing it this is a guy who hasn't slept and so he keeps having these fluttering of images because he's got guilt and hasn't slept so we see him also mm. uh the one thing because i just it was probably it was less than an hour ago that I finished watching this. Um, I saw a strong connection between this and the Prestige, which we'll get to in a little bit, where the Prestige uh, dissects a kind of magician's uh, stage show in how the the plot and how the uh, movie itself are constructed. And here you have a character played by Robin Williams, who's a writer of crime novels and you have a crime taking place and you keep having all this stuff you know robin williams uh is talking about uh what does he call it um he calls it the wild, the wild card. card yeah you know here's the wild card here's the wild card here's the wild card and that's the same thing as in the prestige where you're talking about the prestige and so you're kind of using the a film about a detective case to then reflect on how de detective stories are told and you have a character in there who can then directly address these issues and even at the very end when he mentions the wild card again and that leads to kind of the the fate of the major characters and the idea that we've got the guy who's actually a professional crime solver versus the guy the guy who's a professional crime writer right and and like what 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 really happens in the real world was Al Pacino's was Al Pacino's sphere, and what happens that people expect is supposed to happen in crime is Robin Williams' right. sphere, and and the way he's able to manipulate, you know, the people who are sort of involved um, through this you know heightened reality that he's sort of constructing on the fly was was really interesting to watch. Yeah, so I I think it's a very Nolan film. I it's my least favorite of his movies probably, but I think that you can still see some strong uh, ties. Um, and and like you said, Dan, he didn't write it, but you can see how as a director he chose a story that kind of reflects some of his sensibilities, and then as a director he kind of nailed it down so that it did reveal a lot of his sensibilities. Yeah, I I think what I actually meant when I said it's the least Nolan is it's that the least. <clears throat> excuse me the least obviously nolan like the t two movies previous to or prior to this is very obviously you know cut up and non-linear this one is the most straightforward this one has the most realistic plot uh it, it yeah i i don't know exactly what i meant by that but i think it still stands that 
while there are a lot of his staples, like the way it's shot, the visuals of it, and just the feel of the entire movie is still Nolan. It's also, you know, more mainstream. Well, and, well, and that's... When, I'll go, go for it. All right. Okay, I'm going to go. Uh, the, when I first started watching it, I was like, holy crap, I didn't realize Nolan had worked with Pacino. And then... Hillary Swank showed up and I was like, oh, that's another really big name because I felt like this is still relatively early in his filmography. And there, besides, you know, the two sort of secondary characters from The Matrix and Memento, these are the biggest stars he's really worked with. And Pacino's a big one. Um, and then when he's on the phone and Robin Williams is on the other line, I was like, son of a bitch, this sounds just like Robin Williams. And then you see him for the first time, I'm like, son of a bitch, that is Robin Williams. <laughs> um, and it was a really cool reveal. Uh, and, and so, like, the, the, the list of people who were showing up in this movie just got bigger and bigger as we went through. I don't, I'm not saying Robin Williams is bigger than Pacino, but, like, the length, the length of the list got longer, which was interesting. And yeah, I'm pretty and- sure it's the only time Williams and Pacino have worked together. Oh. Could be. Yeah, just to um, kind of wrap up my thoughts about this, uh, to kind of go to your point, Dan, um, I, I think that this kind of shows uh, the importance of, or maybe the difference between just kind of a director and an auteur where Nolan, even though he didn't write this movie, you know, and you can tell that he didn't have as much creative input as he does on some of his other films, but he still chose a work that spoke to him. And then he used his direction to mold it even further into his idea about how a story should be and and what a movie should look like. And so you have the difference between Nolan, who seems to be kind of an auteur filmmaker, and then someone who's just a gun for hire who you give a script to and he shoots it as it is on the page and walks away. So Yeah, and that just shows his strength as a director, that he's able to put his signature on this and say hey look this is a Christopher <laughs> Nolan movie as well Damn. as another movie yeah I, I really enjoyed the scenes between Robin Williams and Al Pacino I'm kind of surprised that they haven't done more movies together well the, the, it was really interesting to see them together on an individual basis where you know, he, Robin Williams is being real with Al Pacino and, and he's like sort of getting swept up by this literature world. Um, and he starts believing in it. And then he gets to the point where they're in the interrogation room and the guy, he's like, he just gets that moment of clarity. He's like, you're feeding this kid up and you're going to ruin his life so that you can get away with murder. And I, I can't stand for that. And like, and there's actually literally a line in there that felt like the thesis of the movie, which was something like, uh, it was the, the innkeeper lady who said, uh, I guess it all depends on what you're willing to put up with, with. live with. That's what it was. What you're willing to live with. And I was like, yes, it was a really good thesis for the movie. I think. And just as, as a, Quick, very quick aside, uh, I just noticed that uh, speaking of Robin Williams, uh, apparently he has a single camera to, single camera uh, workplace comedy at CBS and Sarah Michelle Geller, Geller Jesus, just uh, signed on for it. So oh, right. he'll be on TV soon. I'll watch that. Is it Mark and Mindy 2013? <laughs> Maybe. Then uh, I'll there. watch that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all I have. Yeah, me too. Rudy, you good? I'm ready, yeah.
Get to it, the big guns. Now, you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it. Because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to know. Want to be fooled. All right. Well, the next movie he did was The Prestige, which we're going to cover more in a later episode, but we just want to talk a, a little bit about it. Since we're, I doing, had uh, not realized we were covering it, so I hadn't watched it. But I remember enough about it to be able to speak, I suppose. But you guys can go first. Yeah, I've, I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it hasn't been that long. But uh, I like it a lot, a lot more on my second and third viewings. Uh, it had the, I guess, in my head, uh, the disservice of coming out like the same year as The Illusionist, and yeah. I watched both of them really closely together. And yeah, I think I remember I watched, these times. I'm, right? I, yeah, it was in it was in college. Yeah, I, I think I watched The Illusionist first, and I really, really liked it. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, the prestige, whatever. Um, but then Nate, uh, my old roommate, really liked the prestige. And so I gave it a second try. And I think it's because he really liked Memento. Yeah. And so that gave him a more of an affinity for it walking in. And so then when I came back to it after no- knowing who Nolan was and I gave it a, a second try and I was able to see some of the depth in it, I can now say that the prestige is a better movie than the illusionist. I'm excited to rewatch. Cause I don't know if I've watched it again since my first or second viewing, but I was the same way. Like I, and I think when I boiled it down to it, to it was, it was these two movies about these two guys who were pulling the wool over the eyes of the world. Um, and, and the, the illusions in the illusionist could all be explained by at the end of the day. Right. Whereas once Nikolai Tesla and all those other things start showing up, the prestige and there's magic that's that's sort of unexplainable and is real magic. It becomes you know? a fantasy. Yeah, exactly. It's it's yeah. it pulls itself out of the it shreds itself from this realistic world that we've been set in so far, and all the stuff that's going on with Christian Bale's character, like continues to be rooted in realism. And it's like, I I would have loved it if it just had a little more science-based fact behind the box, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I can agree with that. I am excited for a second view of this movie because I didn't know who Nolan was at the time, and I'm excited to give it a – to look at it with my new Nolan appreciation goggles. Yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely second and third levels to the movie, and as we've mentioned before, him using the film to discuss the film and the subjects of the film kind of mm-hmm. on a meta level as well. So, Well, and – I remember being really, really affected by this idea. Are we trying not to do spoilers? Uh, for these, yeah, this one definitely. Okay. There's, there's a point where the the magician is sort of met with this moral choice, and he always feels like he's coming out on top. But when you really think about it, if it's a perfect copy, <laughs> then they're both winning and losing at the same time anyway to to be extremely vague uh that that's sort of how i'm feeling and we can talk about it afterwards if we want because (laughs) f it just blew my fucking mind um sorry go ahead yeah i definitely saw uh illusionist in theaters and didn't see prestige till like a year or so later so you know i only had the illusionist for a while and that built up in my head as being the better movie and then I saw The Prestige and was 
continually comparing it to The Illusionist. And those two movies are the reason that the future episode that we're talking about is going to happen. Um, Definitely, yeah. I'll get into it. Which will be... It, it should be a funny episode. Or, and I yeah, haven't rewatched The Illusionist um, in a long time, so that'll be interesting. Uh, the, just the one thing I really want to say is that The Illusionist is a great on a first watch. It might be better than The Prestige on a first watch, but it doesn't have a whole lot of replay value. Yeah, to it. I, I think it's an easier movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely look forward to getting in to rewatching it and getting into the argument later. And I'll give the prestige a rewatch for that as well. I'm also yeah. a big fan of Norton and um, Scarlett Johansson and Scarlett Johansson. Oh. Sort of, and sort Paul of Giamatti. broad sweeps, you know, all yeah, of those Paul people. Paul Giamatti is oh. so good. Um, Speaking of, he just got cast as uh, the Rhino in yeah, Amazing I heard Spider-Man that. 2. Nice. He's going to be great. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm also a huge fan of of all those other guys in, in The Prestige as well, including Michael Caine, who, who he loves to use mm-hmm. over and over and over. He's in five of his of his movies, if you include Bale? each of the... No, yeah. um, no. Well, Christian Bale, but also uh, Michael Caine. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, he definitely... You see a lot of directors who just... I don't know if it's that they just get along really well with them on set and enjoy their acting or what, but you do see a lot of kind of clicks in Hollywood when and actors the woman and who plays Small and Talia Al Ghul, she's yeah, all over the Marianne movies Cody, as well. Yeah. yeah, who's beautiful and talented and fantastic. Very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really want to see Rustin Bone that she was in last year. So, yeah. Cool. Enough about the prestige. I mean. The movies we're skipping are the Batman Dark Knight trilogy because we're going to do a full episode on that trilogy. So yep. don't don't worry. We haven't forgotten about those. <laughs> we'll get back to them at some point. They deserve their own hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is the most resilient parasite? Bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? Uh... What Mr. Cobb is trying to say. An idea. Resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Right in there somewhere. For someone like you to steal? Yes, in the dream state, your conscious defenses are lowered and it makes your thoughts vulnerable to theft. It's called extraction. Mr. Saito, we can train your subconscious to defend itself from even the most skilled extractor. How can I do that? Because I am the most skilled extractor. The the last one we've got today is Inception. The big one. Inception. It's yeah, huge. Def- definitely <laughs> the big one. Uh, when you're talking about $6,000 budget up to $160 million, yeah. That's, that's crazy. I don't know. I don't even want to take the time to do the math. <laughs> um, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a, well, it's, and it's the Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises are bigger, but yeah. 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 Um. This movie, like I, I've watched this movie four or five times now, and every time I love this movie. I don't think I've ever gotten like, you know how you put those movies on in the background. Like Scott Pilgrim's gotten to the point where when I put Scott Pilgrim on, it's there to be noise. 
Barf. Um, and I don't, I don't need to, you shut your mouth. Uh, and I don't need to, I don't need to concentrate on that movie. I can just have it be there and I can still enjoy it and I can do whatever I want to do. But yeah, like, you know what, Rudy, not to interrupt you, but I do agree that Scott Pilgrim is best when you just don't use too much brain power while watching it. Jared <laughs> Continue. Um, but like the minute the first chord rings out on Inception, I'm like, I have to put down my book. This is too good. <laughs> um, and the visuals are amazing. And the even, even the little tricks where uh, Joe goes running up the stairs and the guy's chasing him and then he's like, paradox, and drops him. And it's like, it's kind of cheesy, but it, you, you're so swept up in it. I love this movie. I love it. And it gave someone us. Uh, someone Tom, else start talking. <laughs> it, it gave us Tom Hardy. I mean, he, yeah. had, been, he had been working before, uh, obviously, but this is the movie that launched him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot, it, almost everybody else in it had been uh, either a big actor at some point in time, or was currently a big actor, or and, at least really well regarded. Like Ellen Page had. Um, Juno, and not a whole lot else, but well, Juno and, was Well, I mean, Tom Berenger is an actor who had been around for a long time. Cillian Murphy had been in a bunch of stuff before. I love Cillian Murphy. Jogo, Leo, obviously, is huge. I mean, even Marion Cotillard, I think, had already won uh, the Oscar before for, this movie. For Livian Ross? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was before this, right? Yeah, yes. it definitely was. Um, so, I mean, you already had kind of big actors but tom hardy really wasn't he was just kind of a working actor um, right. and then after this he kind of exploded and whether that's stuff that he had in the pipeline or yeah. or whatnot but you gotta lend you know some amount of uh, credibility to him from exactly for the amount of an action guy he became with movies like warrior and being bane in the third batman movie i would never have guessed it from his character and profile in this movie like he has some actiony sequences, but he looks kind of frail, um, and he looks—he looks sort of weaselly. You know, he doesn't look like a big, beefy Hulk of a man who's ready to kick some ass. And so that was really surprising when I saw, you know, him as Bane with guns so big he couldn't put his arms down. Um, <laughs> and Warrior was really good. If you haven't seen Warrior, you should. Go yeah, see I, that. I love it. He has one of those interesting physiques where it's like he can—he can let himself go for a couple months and you know lose like 20 pounds of muscle and gain like 10 pounds of fat and look like a good looking guy but like a normal guy dude. Yeah. or he can work out tough for six months and look like bane like he just could murder you with his <laughs> pinkies or <laughs> something pinky, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is good for it's it's excellent for an actor because i mean like you would know you um, feel it, like you're in control if you're if you're an actor, like you need your your body is your instrument, you need it to yeah. be able to take as many shapes as possible. Which is why a lot of actors, you know, grow out their hair and facial hair so that they can cut it to, to whatever the, the direction of, yeah. of the character. Yeah, and it's the That's same. That's why Brad Pitt always looks gross when he's on vacation. Right, or Clooney. You know, <laughs> Clooney rocks the um, uh, Siriana kind of hair and beard as long as he's not doing press for like something huge he kind of lets it all go and then sculpts it so that's kind of a tangent but whatever sorry let's go back (laughs) tom hardy is awesome yeah tom hardy is awesome of that little rant (laughs) yeah Yeah, this movie's great i saw it twice in theaters maybe thrice i think just twice I yeah, think I caught it. I think I caught it on its way out through the cheap theater. Like nice. I, everyone had told me it was so good, but I was busy. And then it hit the theater that it hits right before it goes to DVD. And I was like, I should probably see it before it gets small. 
and I saw it on the big screen of there. And then, like, it, I think I bought and I, I no, I haven't bought the Blu-ray yet, but I bought the DVD and I intend to buy the Blu-ray as well. Yeah, it's a good point though, Dan. I mean, I, I personally I don't watch a lot of movies more than once in theater, and mm-hmm. I don't even rewatch a lot of movies period as far as all the movies i see versus how many i rewatch but i mean i saw this twice in theaters i saw avatar perks was the only movie last year perks of being a wallflower that i saw twice and so i i think that's just something that you want to almost immediately pay 15 dollars to go and watch the thing again yeah. you saw avatar last airbender twice in the theater <laughs> yes that is the <laughs> avatar i'm talking you about you saw that once in theaters <laughs> ass <hat. laughs> that's just payback from yeah. my Scott Pilgrim hate. Yep. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I I also don't see a lot of movies in theaters more than once. Um last Avengers, year, I saw a Avengers, Avengers I saw four or five times just because I wasn't paying for most of them. I know um, you saw Batman twice because you went on a date with my girlfriend. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> well once was in IMAX, so that doesn't really count. Yeah, she bought me dinner that night. That was nice. <laughs> I've been needing to have words with that woman. <laughs> uh, I'm going to stir up a little bit. <laughs> I paid her back, so it's okay. Wow. Yes. I paid her back monetarily, yes. not okay. in any dirty sense of the word. Uh, <laughs> that's what I like to hear. As the girlfriend stares at me. <laughs> Viciously. <laughs> Angrily. Sorry, I didn't mean so to get you hot water. So arrow. So Arrow. Yeah, great movie. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. This was one of the first Blu-rays I bought. Probably the first Blu-ray I bought myself. Um, I got a couple when I bought my PS3, but that's because I bought it used from some dude who had a couple. So, Who'd give up a PlayStation 3? Uh, he needed money, and I wasn't complaining because it was the price was of a new one, and it came with that. And yes, definitely for math. Yeah, <laughs> that and like seven games for the price of a new PS3. Sick. And two Blu-rays and an HDMI cable. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. Um. Yeah, Inception, great movie. Great movie uh, a, shows a lot of. Uh, I mean, if we can't really go into plot, like the the way he uses expansive time as you go deep was awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's a few there's a few plot holes that you can't think about, like if if killing yourself in in limbo would bring you back, why don't they just do that? Uh, um, because you kind of forget that you're in limbo. Mm, yeah. that, that's the easy answer to that one. Well, he he did some great world building in this, and kind of yeah. multiple world building yeah um, but and yeah there's plot holes but there's plot holes in everything and uh, the the real test is when i was watching it i didn't give a shit it's you know yeah, when i got exactly. out of it where i was like oh well yeah i guess after discussing it i can see these five or ten things but you couldn't have asked me while i was watching the movie and i or you could exactly. have asked me and i couldn't have told you and that's well you could have asked you and you would have said shut the fuck up i'm watching the movie i'm watching this <laughs> it's my second time in here guys um my my I, I remember a lot of people giving the movie a lot of crap because of the the top ending, or the I don't sure. know, is, it, is it called yeah. the top? Yeah, it's a top. Um, but in an interview, Nolan literally says, "Well, I did it that way so that the audience didn't know. I, I wanted you to have to make your own decisions. I wanted there to be a discussion." 
this is why I did that. It was, it mm-hmm. was legitimate and intentional. And so, a lot of so people there. went back to see it a second time just so they could get those last five seconds and see if right. they missed something. And yeah. it's like, no, you didn't. You have to think about it. And that's the thing. Sometimes it can be a cop out. Sometimes it's like, well, good enough place, I guess. You know, and right. so the movie just ends or they they hadn't thought about it. So it just ends. But the good thing about this is I think that whether it keeps spinning or falls, it doesn't matter. It works either way. And that's one of the things that makes it a good film is because you can make the discussions about it after the movie ends. No matter which side you come, you have good arguments. And then no matter which side you're arguing against, you have good arguments against it. So it's a real thought piece. And I don't know. It works, but it is a case by case basis because lesser directors make lesser yeah. works. I think. I think that I remember when I was at LCC, I I was in a class called Sociology Through Film, and there were all these really great films that were asking sociological questions, like you know, the abandoned child, the the your place in the group versus your place alone, whatever. Um, and I feel like this would be a really great movie because of the last five ish minutes of the play to sort of relate it to the allegory of the cave uh, sure. for, a, for a philosophy kind of standpoint. Because the big thing about the, the allegory of the cave is if you if you leave the cave, then you can't ever go back to the cave. But if what if the cave could brainwash you, you know? Um, and would you want to stay? Would you rather stay blissfully ignorant or do you would you want to return to the harsh, re- the harsh light of reality? Um, that just reminded yeah. me of the Matrix. Yeah, because that's literally what Cipher does. Yeah, exactly. Ignorance is bliss. Eat some steak. Yeah. Um, so, so like that. No one is one of the people, and I'm sure that Jacob will have a ton more examples of of these things. But no one is one of the people who makes film and the film media into art for me. Like it's, it's there, there's, there's entertainment in movie and then there's art in movie and this feel and inception feels like a thought provoking piece that's made to make you think. Um, and, and so it sort of transcends into a higher place in my, in my head. Well, yeah. And just to kind of, I mean, uh, to take that a little further, I, I think what makes it even better is he's kind of the, you know, anti-Michael Bay. I mean, you have Michael Bay who will spend a hundred, two hundred million dollars on a movie and he'll make a shiny piece of entertainment for people. And then you have Nolan who'll do the same thing, but when you walk away from that movie, you have to think about it. And not a whole lot of people can do that. There's a lot of people who can work in like the the five to fifty million dollar movie sandbox and make really interesting films i think ryan johnson's one of these with with looper and his other films you have a lot of people like that who can work in there you give them enough money to see their vision but there's not a whole lot of people who uh, i mean i i think to a lesser extent because i don't think he's as good of a director or writer james cameron's the same way he'll make these several hundred million dollar movies that are more than just shiny pieces of film i mean they're and actually then he'll make avatar yeah uh-huh. um <laughs> i mean i i do i do think that he's uh uh just to say my piece on him for a second i think that he's a better um technical artist uh than nolan is and than most people are but i think that when it has to do with story or dialogue the actual things and narrative structure he's much weaker 
So that'd just be what I say. That sums it up pretty well. Thank you. Jacob wins this argument. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, yeah. Tune in next week. For case two. <laughs> case two. No, next next week is uh, trash or treasure. Uh, what? Kristen Stewart, cr- trash or treasure? Oh yeah, no, that's that's in a couple. Yeah, oh, a uh, couple episodes from now. Yeah, we're we're gonna do the action stuff next. Yeah, um, revenge thrillers. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's right. And then case two. And then we're into our marvelous summer. So, uh, <laughs> that, that, the title keeps getting more and more punny. It started with month of it started with Marvel Week, and then month of Marvel, and now marvelous summer. That's hot. Uh, terrible, but yeah, I I look forward to schooling everybody. In <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, Are we gonna have to watch Twilight for this? See, okay. Podcast? Yes. So, so this is so this is a good thing. Um, Ooh, a good thing to bring up, Rudy. Just had an idea. Um, I was going through because I was kind of like as a defense attorney or whatever. I was gonna come up with You're the reasons. The case. Yeah, of like why <laughs> why my actor is innocent of being a terrible actress. Um, and so I had like I, I can find a bunch of films where it's like, hey, like this is a great film and she's good in it type of deal. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like, I've honestly never seen twilight and had never planned on it, but in order to have a well-reasoned argument to understand the other side, I think we probably should watch it. We should watch that. We should watch snow white. Yeah. Well, I've already, um, I saw that last year or whatever, but yeah, um, it's close enough, but I, I don't plan on watching all of it. Like I'll watch the first twilight. I'll yeah. do that for everybody. I, I was thinking oh, we oh. should each take one of them. <laughs> oh. oh, please don't make me. <laughs> I, take I called dibs on like the last one because I hear it's actually pretty good. Well, she she's not just being mopey; she's turned into a vampire and like running around and being actiony. So, so it's, she's a mopey it's, vampire. It's almost yeah. like they gave her something to work with. Almost. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, stay tuned for case two. I guess at a later point in time. So I can hang myself. Pre- preview of coming attractions. Yeah. Yes. I, I'm looking forward to the next one, though. Those revenge thrillers that you lined out. Yeah. I, I like all of them. And there's a couple like The Long Kiss Goodnight that I haven't seen in a very I'm excited long about time. Long Kiss Goodnight. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, are any of them uh, Mel Gibson movies? Like Payback or? Um, no, because I don't oh, own any of those. I don't think I own any Mel Gibson movies. Uh, not, I can't say that I blame you, but... Well, I don't think that I own any his, of them, but... The Mel Gibson Revenge action movies are some of his best work, because it's just him running around being... He's, he's one of the, you know, as far as artists who are monsters go, he might be my favorite. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, Roman Polanski raped, like, a 14-year-old, and he somehow gets a pass. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I don't give him a pass. People give him a pass. Um, so, I, yeah... As far as monsters go, Mel Gibson's my favorite. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that more next time. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. That man's a monster. You just don't know it yet. He's hiding something. He's got to be. Well, he's God. Or Satan. That's it. He actually is Satan. He's good guy, Lucifer. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Nolan's great. That's why we did a full episode on him. And there will be one more Nolan-centric episode when we do his Batman movies. And maybe one after that when his newest movie comes out, although it's not even in production yet. Yeah, and I mean, he he does, I guess, have some story credit on Man of Steel and is kind of shepherding that a little bit. But that's – win or lose, that's – that's Zack Snyder. I'm going to say that now because a lot of people will be like, if it's a good movie, they'll be like, oh, yeah, Nolan. Everything great about that movie, Nolan told Snyder to do. I'm not going to pull that shit. Like, if it's a good movie or a bad movie, Man of Steel's on Zack Snyder. Nice. So. Fair enough. Well, th- somewhere out there is a theory that um, Christopher Nolan was doing two trilogies at the same time. One of them was Batman, Batman Dark Knight, and Batman Dark Knight Rises. And the other one was... Uh, the Prestige, um, Inception, Inception, and then whatever's coming next, which and is possibly what the next Nolan-centric movie will be or episode will be. Right. Is when that one comes out, I want to do. If if it fits, I want to talk about that and see how that works. And somewhere out there, there is a, a YouTube thing that has the Batman trilogy clips set to the audio for um, uh, Michael Caine talking about the prestige. Um, you from should the, from find the that and send it to me. I will. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's, right? no, no, no. It, essentially someone took clips of all these different, of all these different moments in the, in the, essentially as soon as Dark Knight Rises footage started coming out, they took clips from the whole arc of, of the Batman story and and then set it to this prestige audio and it works so well the idea that batman himself as a character as a symbol is this magic trick where you show someone a normal man who's bruce wayne you make him do something extraordinary which is defeat the joker you take him away right um, at the end of by, by breaking him with the, with his back and then you bring him back because it's not enough just to show up doing something magic that's going away and then you bring it back so I'll, I'll find that clip and it's amazing sweet well, cool. I think that's all we got yeah congratulations to both of you this is uh, an outstanding uh, film and I just want to know from the perspective of two men that have worked with Christopher Nolan how the hell he keeps stepping it up Got a lot of good ideas. And I think he, uh, you want to know why I think he keeps stepping it up is because he genuinely loves what he does. He's not doing it to make a bunch of money or to prove anything to anybody. And as popular as his movies are, he really just loves movies and makes them, I think, mostly for himself and his own joy. And uh, that's why it comes off so well. Gary, how about you, you know, to, to work with a, a yeah. man like that? I just think he's talented. I think it's as simple as that. He's just, he's just got, you know, and he knows what, he knows, he has a great sense of sort of story arc and where the movie needs to um, it deliver. He has a great, he's got his a great sense of what, what this is, this is what the audience needs here. Um, this is what they need to feel here. And this will take us here. Yeah. And then 
has its conclusion. You know, he's got he's, he seems to have a sort of wonderful sense of of that. And mm. there are people there there are people that do. You know, it's and it's. But it's a, it's ones and zeros. I don't know. It's just a mysterious, mysterious thing. But you don't. We were talking about this earlier. But you don't see him making an epic movie like no. this. You just you don't you don't see him doing it. He just very calm, very comes in right. in his he, uniform. He does it with ease. Yeah, with and his, his black, tea with his with his black with his waistcoat and his. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and his vest, tea. As we say. Yeah, his vest and his t and his t and his tea. Yeah. Yeah, those are all great. Thanks for listening. As always, uh, check out our other podcasts. That would be Mainframe Chronicle and Rogue Arrow podcast. Uh, definitely leave us feedback at uh, thecinemasters.blogspot.com. You can email us at thecinemasters at gmail .com. Please find us on Facebook and rate and review us. So we can get more popular there and get more listeners. Uh, if you like what we do, let us know. If you don't like what we do, let us know how we can do it better. To Constructively? Yes. Don't just tell us we suck. Cause yeah, not like whatever that help. dude was. Um, <laughs> who left you guys? Yeah. I've <laughs> like been looking for awful. a good Arrow podcast and this isn't it. <laughs> Constructive. Yep, thanks. However, he did actually help us out in the end. That's true. A little okay, bit. That was that was not me. No. Liar. It was me. It was <laughs> no, it wasn't me. <laughs> I swear. I never thought about it until you said this. Now I expect it to be you. Next uh, time. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely find us on iTunes and do that. You guys have anything to plug? Rudy, you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, I've got nothing to plug, but I'm excited because I recently watched all of the Die Hard movies with my girlfriend, and we're going to go see Good Day to Die Hard. Uh, tomorrow, so be prepared for potentially a, uh, a, a X out of five stars at the beginning of the next episode. Cool. Um, I'm on Twitter at Lynn Jacob, L-I-N-N-J-C-O-B. I'm keeping like a movie journal thingy on Blogspot. That's a my year four film. Blogspot.com, and I write for GFB Robot. And I might have some cool stuff to talk about next time. Yeah. I am also on Twitter at AmazingBass. That's Amazing B-A-S-S. I will be on an upcoming episode of Geek Fights, which will probably be out by the time this episode goes up. It's the... What is it? Is that the, the video games one? Video game character showdown, where we just pit a bunch of characters against each other and imagine how they would fight out. Oh, that sounds like it's going to be fun. It, it is pretty fun. I kind of jumped in last minute, so I had no real stakes in it because I didn't get to pick any of the characters. So it, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll be a good episode. That should be out, I want to say, the. I don't know when, whenever. I wouldn't mind geek fighting again. That'd be fun. It'll be out before this goes up, I'm sure. So you can post a link. You'll be yeah. fine. There will be a link in the show notes at thecinemasters.blogspot.com. <laughs> I suppose I should spell Cinemasters for those who don't realize what it looks like. It's also the Cinemasters. I tried to look at it for yeah. just as Cinemasters, and it did not work out for me. It's the Cinemasters. That's T-H-E-C-I-N-E-M-A-S-T-E-R-S dot blogspot.com. Well, and Cinemasters was a thing, and then they let the domain die, but we can't get it back from them, which is too bad. Yep. I'm currently working on getting a 
actual web page for all these podcasts so that it looks more professional and stuff. A hub. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that requires learning how to deal with web pages. Hmm. But Not yeah, fun. We'll, we'll get there. Hopefully by next episode, but probably not till two or three down the line. <laughs> not till case two. Case two. We'll roll, we'll roll out. We'll, we'll roll out a new website, website with case two. Case two. <laughs> Perfect. Get all those twihards. New goal. <laughs> hey, if we, yeah, if we if we put a twilight bump on there, we're gonna have tons of people listening to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So maybe we should definitely watch that. All right, fine. Yeah, we'll we'll argue about you know specifics later. But is it on Netflix? Because awesome. I'm not paying for. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay. As always, thanks for listening, and until next time, I am Daniel James. I'm Rudy Schubach. and I'm Jacob Lynn. And, and Twilight is not on real. Netflix. Ah, damn it! <laughs> that should be our sign off. And Twilight is not on Netflix. <laughs> See, that's what I was thinking. Papa Merlin. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Bob! We come from the net. Blogs, websites, podcasts, to this place, the The Mainframe Chronicle. Our format, podcasters, to analyze and discuss to discuss the shows we love. Their strengths and flaws. We discuss them until our jobs ache. Software pirates. This is bad. This is very bad. Megabyte hit a delete command in the mask, just like you said. Only he didn't know because I should have copied and pasted the truth from the start. young Enzo. Remember that anything worthwhile takes time. What we have here is a failure to network. Well, get to work, you two. I don't keep you around for your brains, now do I? No, sir. Not a brains. Absolutely not. The monkeys are restless and my dog has fleas. Over. This is going to take Millions and millions of nanoseconds! This might even take one whole second! Dot, can you read me? Dot! They say the listener lives outside the net. And listens to the podcast. No one knows for sure. But we intend to find out. out. Mainframe Chronicle. Join us as we explore the world of Mainframe and the adventures of Bob, Dot, and Enzo in the Mainframe Chronicle podcast. You can find us at mainframechronicle.blogspot.com, on Twitter at MF Chronicle, or on Facebook and iTunes by searching Mainframe Chronicle podcast. The Emerald Archer, the Battling Bowman. 
Ali. Whatever name you know him by, he is best known as Oliver Queen, the billionaire playboy who was stranded on an island for five years, forcing him to become the Arrow. Join us as we follow his journey to clean up the mess his father helped create in Starling City. I am Daniel Janes. I'm Chris O'Neill. I'm Laurel Mers. And I'm Rudy Schubach. And you should check out Rogue Arrow Podcast, where we talk about the CW show Arrow. You can find us at roguearrow.blogspot.com or by searching iTunes or Facebook for Rogue Arrow Podcast. <laughs>